Hey guys, Jared here with the Shooting Institute. This is our fourth episode or our fourth uh, podcast for our uh, end of 2019 uh, pilot launch. Uh, got Mike Rebels here with me today, aka Grumples. Still have Stephen Nix. Haven't haven't figured a way to kick him off the mic yet because still uh, here. Yeah, none of us none of us know how to do anything uh, electronic. Uh, but we have Mike here with us, and we're going to go in today and in, in, into, into leadership, in particular leadership in law enforcement and uh, in, in military. So uh, we're going to talk with Mike about that. He's had a lot of a uh, lot of experience with that over the last 25 years in the military and in law enforcement. But before we do, we're going to go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for the opportunity to, to be together. Uh, you said we're two or three are gathered in your name. There you are in the midst of them. We're gathered here in your name, Lord. And we just ask that everything we do would honor and glorify you and that ultimately somebody would come to know you through the through the message of the gospel that we present. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, your background uh, for the people that don't know you. Uh, so I was in law enforcement over 23 years. Uh, had spent a few years in the Army before that. And uh, so my last rank in law enforcement was a sergeant, my highest rank. Uh, during that time, probably at least 17 out of those 23 years, I was on uh, a SWAT team of some nature. Uh, when, I got, when I left, I was a uh, team leader. Uh, for the most part, uh, towards the end of my SWAT career, which uh, ended when I retired. So I stayed on the SWAT team all the way up until I was uh, 52 years old. I'm 53 now. Um, so yeah, I was uh, had a lot of experience in that. And part of that time also, I was assigned to the U.S. Marshals Fugitive Task Force. And after uh, I was on there for three years, and a year into that, I uh, was given a team of my own. So I was a team leader on with a group of guys that we were hunting down fugitives all right cool to mike has the personality of a sucked orange so you have to be careful <laughs> with that oh no seriously we have to just like liven it up a little bit um so so mike now i know as far as your experience especially on the on the fugitive apprehension side you know i mean y'all are chasing some of the worst dudes in the nation in particular in the south southeast because of the gulf, gulf coast regional task force correct that's true, Jared. That is true. How is that? Is that a little more charismatic? That's perfect. That's charismatic. Good deal. Just like me. <laughs> um, so, so you were chasing around uh, uh, felons that that were like, I mean, is this uh, high risk, violent felons? We were the guys that were out there murdering, raping, robbing uh, drug dealers that uh, would do all kinds of atrocities and. Uh, whenever an officer was killed, we were the first ones called, hunting those guys down, um, kicking in doors, dragging them out of beds or wherever they were hiding at all hours of the day and night. And we wouldn't, sometimes we wouldn't come home until uh, those guys were captured. And, and, and a lot of times that would last a week or two, uh, but we would get after it. So in your experience uh, with, with, well, conventional military back back before you uh, got into law enforcement, even when you're in, and then also in your regular duties as a law enforcement officer, what was the difference that you saw in, number one, the officers who were involved in hunting the worst dudes that were out there and the officers who didn't hunt the worst dudes that were out there, and then the leadership over those two those two units? Because you were in, you were in that unit for a while, but you also worked as a as a regular officer, correct? Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what was the difference, one, in the mentality of the officers between those two units, um, and then also 
the uh, the leadership, the mentality of the leadership of those officers. What did what did you see? Well, the the, the main thing I saw, and and whether you liked him or didn't like him, I'm not going to name names, but uh, the leader we had over at the Marshall's Task Force, he was driven, and he was a leader. He led from the front, and he was the chief. He had guys that were under him that. He could assign to do some of the stuff that he was uh, he was out there doing himself, but he always he if we were out for two weeks, he was out for two and a half weeks. So he led by example. And he led from the front. Uh, so that was the biggest thing I picked up uh, from his leadership style was he wouldn't ask us to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. And uh, and that, to me that was um, one of the biggest things I took from him. And was that different than what you saw uh, on the on your on the other side of law enforcement when you're working as a as a regular deputy or a regular you know officer? Yeah, I worked and I worked as an officer with the police force, and I also worked as a deputy with the sheriff's office. And, and either one of those, especially initially on, I really didn't care because I was just green and wanting to get after it myself. And but as I started moving up rank and was given more responsibility, I noticed that. Um, the biggest problem I saw in law enforcement was guys weren't being promoted or given leadership positions uh, because of what they did. It was more of who they knew and how well they may have scored on a test or written test, but it wasn't a whole lot of uh, time or effort put into maybe speaking with the officers that were on the road doing the job, how they felt about that certain leader and his, his skills to actually lead not manage most of your law enforcement leadership and i put that in quotes is uh they're very good managers but uh, they they get to a position of leadership and they start delegating as opposed to actually going out and doing and getting to know their their men out on the road getting to know what they uh how to motivate them or or what their problems at home were or just really getting to know them because a lot of times when you're out there on the road um how an officer may react or do his job. There's a lot of factors that go into that. And I felt like as a, especially as a sergeant, a frontline supervisor, we need to be out there on the road leading by example and uh, getting to know our men. And again, that uh, sergeant to me was considered a frontline supervisor. So you were out there leading from the front, not, uh, I had one supervisor that uh, he just really rubbed me wrong. But his, his uh, motto and what I took from him was, is like, like some parents used to do with their kids, don't do as I do, do as I say. And to me, that's the worst way to lead ever. Okay, no so, and, and so you're not talking about seeing that with even high-level leadership, you know, talking about like a police chief or a sheriff. You're talking about, you know, road, you know, road sergeant, even a lieutenant potentially over a certain shift. Those guys were the ones who were trying to delegate a lot of stuff, but they weren't out actually – helping do any of the work. No, uh, and, and we worked with those guys way before they got promoted, um, and you knew what their mentality was out on the road. You knew whether they were scared or not to actually do their job. And they would usually be the ones that would be hiding and never getting any trouble because they weren't ever doing anything, never getting any complaints because they weren't actually uh, policing. And, and, and so they didn't have anything in their file that said they ever did anything wrong, but... So they were getting promotions. They were getting higher scores because, no, they were clean cut. They had degrees, which there's nothing wrong with the degree. I've got mine. But they looked great on paper. And I coined a phrase, they were paper cowboys because they had a lot of certificates. They went to a lot of schools. But they were the first guys 
hiding in their car until we went in and got the job done. And that, that's not leadership. And so that's kind of the difference you saw between Marshall's task force hunting the worst dudes that, you know, the nation had to standard regular law enforcement patrol, you know, patrol cop, beat deputy, whatever you want to call it, um, out working the streets or whatever. And, and, and the biggest issue you saw was between the, the street level or the shift level leadership and how they were responding to, well, the everyday work or the needs of their guys. Absolutely. That definitely was the biggest problem. And if, like in the Marshall Task Force, if a department sent a guy that uh, they felt like, well, a lot of times we would get guys that the department just didn't want to deal with. So they would send them over to the Marshall's Task Force, but they wouldn't last long. We'd send them back home if we didn't feel like they had the uh, guts to deal with these uh, violent criminals and they didn't last long. So they went back and, and I don't know what happened to their career after that. But. Gotcha. So, and the reason I ask a lot of this, you know, with my, my short time in, in law enforcement, when I got out of the SEAL teams, you know, one thing that, that I realized really quickly is that, uh, there's a persona, I guess, with a lot of law enforcement officers and, and a lot of the guys who are cops that are listening, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, some of you might be this guy, but there's this persona that a cop, man, he can, man, he's a cop. He can fight. He can shoot. He's doing the stuff. He's getting into car chases. But in reality, when I worked law enforcement, which is kind of what I thought, you know, I'm super pumped about it. And I wound up being able to do ride alongs and work with some buddies of mine that were deputies and everything when I was in the SEAL teams that that's what we did in Center Point, Alabama, uh, or wherever I'd get to go do a ride along with them and, and chase dudes down. I get to law enforcement and I, I realize that, hey, wow, this isn't, not only is this not happening, like I'm getting in trouble when I'm actively actively seeking out uh, really bad people, guys who are doing bad things or ladies who are doing bad things, people who are doing the wrong thing. Uh, we're getting in trouble for it. Um, and so the reason I'm asking this to mention is so this is something you've seen over a career of law enforcement. It's not something that's just happening like right now or nowadays. Uh, it's always been that way. You know, law enforcement has gotten so liability conscious too that it, especially if a guy wants to get continue to get promoted, he doesn't want his officers that are under him to reflect upon him badly because it oftentimes will. Uh, from the chief or the sheriff, he'll say, oh, why aren't you leading your people or why aren't they, you know, why are they always getting in trouble? Well, one, they're too scared and two, they were too scared to let officers do their job because it might reflect poorly on them and, and then hinder their opportunity to continue to, uh, to get promoted. And, and so there, the problem then comes from the very top because a lot of times the sheriff or the chief will promote people that, you know, just kind of fit his mold or his, uh, good old boy club. And then you turn around, you have a bunch of yes men around you that, I mean, sheriffs and chiefs don't always make the right decisions uh, in a staff meeting. And they're asking for, uh, you know, some response from his underlings or his, you know, other supervisions on, on some issues they may be having or some problems they have to deal with. And you got a bunch of guys just uh, agreeing with what the sheriff or the chief says. Well, that's not the way you should have your people around you. You should have people that are going to be willing to tell the chief or the sheriff, hey, that doesn't sound too good or that sounds great. You know, be able to explain why. But most of the time, a sheriff or a chief doesn't want that. He wants somebody to agree with him. There's nothing wrong with agreeing with him. And there's nothing wrong with the sheriff or the chief 
uh, having some disagreement, but then continuing to make the decision that he makes because ultimately he is the one who makes the final decision and he may have more information on whatever that is. So he makes the final decision, but you need people around you that are not just going to agree with everything you say. So it's funny you say that because this is, uh, and, you know, not trying to air out NSW's dirty laundry or anything like that. Not that I know it. I've been out of the teams for uh, seven years now, um, six years. But the uh, that's kind of what we're seeing, at least now in Naval Special Warfare. Everybody knows about the Eddie Gallagher case and what's going on, you know. And, and the bottom line is, is Eddie was found not guilty for whatever it was they were trying him for, you know. Um, uh, and, and yet you see a constant from the leadership above him, a constant trying to reach back out to the point that the president of the United States has to get involved. Um, and I believe the secretary of the Navy recently has been fired over that. Uh, the president has sided with the blue collar, you know, worker and has not sided with a bureaucrat yet. You have a lot of bureaucrats who feel as if they're almost entitled to, you know, again, do as I say, not as I do sort of, mm-hmm. sort of thing. And, uh, it's funny cause I've, you know, we're seeing a lot of that definitely in, in, in the military for the military guys that are out there and listening. Some of y'all, uh, you know, are probably agreeing with this, uh, but also even in special operations, which is, which is sad, starting to see more of that, uh, which is the want or the need for a yes man to prop up essentially a political leader. Um, not anybody who's actually on the ground operating, but a, a political leader. So we're seeing a lot of that in the military as well. What, what is it that's causing that you think at least from your end that you've seen why is it that that a that a a person in a leadership position whether they're a leader or not doesn't matter they're in a leadership position why is it that they uh oftentimes seem they feel they have to have a yes man to continue to support them as opposed to uh somebody who's actually going to speak truth into their lives uh as they're as they're going through i'll give you an example real quick marcus aurelis had a had a guy that followed him around because he had so many people uh, um, basically worshiping him and talking how great he was as a Roman emperor. And a guy always following around and said, you're just a man. You're just a man. Memento Mori. You're just a man. Do what? Memento Mori. Memento Mori. And that was Marcus Aurelius who had that. So why is it that that we don't uh, see that same sort of response nowadays? I think you can look at the way they were promoted. I mean, they knew in their hearts that they didn't they weren't leaders they got promoted because of a a pass on their test or a a a nice file where they had a lot of accolades um whether it was public service to some you know maybe they taught a women's defense class and did real well and got a bunch of women say they did great or whatever it may be Uh, but they never did actually get their you know their hands dirty out in the field arresting guys that could possibly fight with them or they're dangerous or you know i've had a lot of experience with guys who we'd have an alarm call for an example and they were the primary unit that was their beat and they would wait at the end of the street until two or three other officers showed up now what if the alarm call was a good one and there was somebody in that house you know something terrible happening to them and they're out and they're too scared to go and 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 handle the situation Uh, but those are the guys that end up getting promoted and so when they get promoted, they know they're not, they hadn't been promoted for the right reasons, one. And two, they, they, they feel like they've gotten promoted, so they're given a position of authority uh, and they don't deserve it and their egos start to take over. And, and when you have an, you know, that, that big ego, I'm the lieutenant or I'm the sergeant 
and who are you to question me? Uh, I believe that becomes a problem. Uh, and then again, the, going back to the liability thing, they don't want anything to look bad on them if they end up having to make a, a tough decision on whether we you know, kick that door in and go in there and try to save that person or we wait and we sit back and uh, you know, until it's really safe. You know, We didn't put the badge on. You don't wear a gun and a bulletproof vest uh, if you're scared. I mean, we knew going in that there's a chance you might get shot or hurt or killed even. Uh, so you better muster up and go in and do your job you know, or anybody would be doing it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So <clears throat> as this ties into uh, what we're seeing nowadays with law enforcement, I mean, I know that, um, you know, law enforcement, you talk to a lot of cops, it's, it's going in a bad way. You, know, you got people that have a disdain for authority right now. Law enforcement's constantly under assault. It seems, and, and even military now for that matter, and it seems as if we don't have uh, leadership uh, that stands up and backs their guys in, in certain situations. Now, I know there's a recent story in Oklahoma, I believe, not, and, and there's probably a lot more to the story. I don't know anything about it other than a, there's a cop being indicted for killing an active shooter. Is that correct? Yeah, I saw it. I didn't read the article either, so I don't know a whole lot of the background. There, Maybe there's more to the story than we even know. But for that to even be advertised is is pretty is at least alarming. concerning yeah, yeah it's at least yeah. concerning and it's but and it's also not not hard to believe uh given the way we see leadership responding to uh officer related shootings you know officer uh, officers getting in a, in a fight or whatever nowadays whatever it is uh, it's not hard to believe and then also we got military leaders who respond the way they do to guys killing enemies overseas um so my question is is how does how does this lack of leadership almost within the law enforcement and the military community that, that you've seen over a 25 year career how does it how do you think it ties to this response of just a complete disdain for authority um, whether it be on the street uh, or you know chasing chasing down the the nation's toughest criminals well, a lot of times, uh, you know, social media, video cameras, all that stuff just portrays us in a bad way because they only see part of it. And um, so it's, you know, the, the leadership, well, the chief or the sheriff, they don't want to be, they don't want to lose their job, one. And uh, two, they don't want the bad publicity. So they're not going to do anything that, that may give them that bad publicity. But I, I've seen in law enforcement the, the best outcomes Typically, whenever you're in a situation like that, whether it be a, a car chase and, and you end up catching a guy and end up having to pull a guy out of a window and things may look bad on video, but, you know, you end up ending the situation a lot quicker when you're more aggressive towards ending the threat or the problem than if you sit back and wait and it escalates and it causes more problems and then, and then you just give uh, somebody more of an opportunity to, to create more of a problem. So I... I think it all boils down to the perception that people have. Uh, I, I've said this a lot of times. I, you know, it looks bad if you have a couple officers punching a guy in the face, but at least they're willing to get up in that guy's face and punch him in the face and get him down on the ground, handcuff him, whatever force they have to, to use. But what looks worse when you got a couple scared officers that are afraid to go hands-on, and the next thing you know, they pull a gun out, and they shoot the guy, and he's dead. If I and there was, was that, no reason to shoot him. No real reason to shoot the guy. If I was that guy's mother that got shot and killed, I would be upset too, no matter how bad the guy was. But 
would I be uh, less upset? I'd probably be upset, but I'd be a lot less upset if I just had to go put some you know, ice on the guy's eye because it was blacked as opposed to going to a funeral. Does that make sense? No, no, that, know that, that makes that perfect sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Something I've said since I've been out of the teams and, and working with law enforcement a lot and being in law enforcement a lot is, uh, and I, bl- I personally, and this is Jared Hudson's personal opinion, so everybody knows, but, you know, because I know it's going to piss people off, but whatever. Um, I personally believe the biggest problem with law enforcement nowadays is leadership. Yeah. Leadership wants all the accolades for what their guys are doing, but they don't want any of the bad stuff. And so what happens is leadership hires guys that might not need to be a cop yeah. who, when they get out there, they're already scared to death anyway because they've never been in a fist fight before. Mm-hmm. And now you're putting them in a situation where they're in a boxing ring with Mike Tyson, right? Mm-hmm. They're standing there with Mike Tyson. And they're told, if you fear for your life, you can draw your pistol and protect yourself. Well, this guy, in in his in his defense, is in fear for his life because he's never uh, been in a fist fight before, ever gone hands on with anybody. So it's almost like you've got to find that fine line between somebody who can go hands on and crush somebody, but also do it to the right person, not to the wrong person, because you have a a lot of guys that use that authority, I think, in the oh, in yeah. the wrong way. But crush the right person without ever having to implement. Uh, their, their their weapon or pull their weapon or use a taser or a baton or anything like that. And to answer your question, because I think I've skipped around a lot, the leadership, the head leadership, the chief, the sheriff, the captain, whatever it may be, they're the guys that started out getting promoted, not because they were good leaders, but because they look good on paper. So it's a, it's a vicious cycle. So now you've got a guy who's scared to death, liability conscious, and now he's your leader. So who's he going to hire? He's going to hire people like him that are going to agree with him. And they're not going to be hands-on because they don't want to be. Because they were scared too when they were doing their job. And because they were able to get promoted, now they're promoted all the way to the top. And they're making the same decisions as a chief or a sheriff that they made as a patrol officer or a deputy on the road. And setting themselves up for failure, I think. And it's created uh, in society just a perception that, uh, you know, used to you could do your job, be done with it, and and move on. Now you got to be concerned with uh, the perception from society and what everybody thinks instead of just do your job. And if somebody questions it, say, hey, that was a bad guy. And we dealt with the bad guy. Do we want to just let bad guys do bad things? No, we've got to deal with it and deal with it quickly because our job is to protect and serve the citizens. Absolutely. Well, dang, man, that's some heavy stuff, guys. That was a, that was a heavy podcast, but this is one that, that, uh, folks have reached out and asked us about, and that's leadership in particular leadership in law enforcement, but we also tied it to what we're seeing with the military, uh, nowadays as well. Uh, one thing to, to note, guys, if, you, if you're a law enforcement officer, you're military, if, heck, if you're a leader in any of those units, we're not hating on you or anything like that. So don't think that we're sitting here trying to arm, arm, armchair quarterback what you do. Uh, but with that being said, the buck stops here. You know, me being the owner of the Shooting Institute, something happens with the company, it falls on me. It doesn't matter what guy did it. So as a word of encouragement for the leaders out there, uh, don't surround yourself with yes men. Realize that you could be wrong at times. And uh, if, if you're in a position that you shouldn't be in, then go ahead and step out of that position and make sure somebody gets there that can get the, get the job done. Um, 
again, we, I truly believe, uh, and I won't put words in Mike's mouth, but the, the, the leadership that we have and the current culture we have around leadership is some of our biggest problems and is creating some of the biggest issues that we're seeing. Yeah, and I, I, I want to add that if you are a leader, look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I able to actually lead these guys like I need to be leading from the front? If I have some weaknesses, find a way to turn those weaknesses into strengths. There's plenty of good leaders out there, and there's plenty of good ways to get better at what you do. And I know we talk about it a lot. If you're fat and out of shape, get in shape. If you don't know how to fight, take some classes, learn how to fight. If you can't shoot, get out there and shoot. Do what you need to do, whatever your job may be, whatever leadership capacity you're in, uh, you know, whether you're an executive or, or a guy out on the road protecting and serving the population, get better at what you're doing and, and but don't just sit back and continue to be terrible. Well, there it is, fellas. Well, that's the end of our fourth podcast. We're going to tie this in with the next, or we're going to tie the next podcast in with this one, and that's going to be leadership of men in general. And we're going to have a former Sunday school teacher, uh, Stan Wiggins, on to help us uh, help us through the scriptures on that one. Anyway, guys, y'all listen up, subscribe to us if you haven't subscribed, and uh, let us know what you think about the podcast. Thanks, guys.